Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. And uh, when you talked about that is definitely my studies and my interests go a lot within media, marketing. Uh, you, you touched on some some things that stand out. So when we think about this whole idea of uncharted territory, uh, this whole idea today of what do they call it? The the urban uh, urban pioneers, urban pioneer. Uh, it, it's the same concept of the Oregon Trail, the game. The that rugged individual. Yep. Yeah, the yep. rugged individual, meaning like I'm going to go out west and I'm going to find this territory that no one's on and I'm going to be able to. Uh, basically build and develop a, a place for my family, a place for business, a place for society to exist, uh, completely dismissing the civilization that already is currently there. And uh, when we think about the whole idea of a lot of the native people, one of the tough things of the idea of ownership of land, because we're going to get more into that too, that that terminology the whole idea of owning land was never a part of their society it wasn't a part of ethics that they believed in because land was a part of life and life was a part of their civilization so as you say uh looking from a a cultural societal lens from the outside in you're already superseding uh, and putting yourself in a position where you're disrespecting what does exist. Absolutely. And, and just to even go a little bit deeper, in the indigenous, in the indigenous sort of um, framework or worldview, there was this notion of a responsibility to steward the land communally, right? So, so it is a form of ownership where it was collective and there was, and they all assumed a responsibility over it. What was different that came out of Europe was this idea of private property. And so, I think that that there was a that there was a sense of common ownership um, and common responsibility over the land, but it wasn't this idea of individual or private property. And I think that's a big distinction um, uh, to to add to the mix. But I think. W Another, another aspect, if, if we're going to use the uh, colonial sort of uh, backdrop to understand what's happening today or understand sort of the challenges of community development today, one of the things that was clear about the people who lived on the land was they understood the land so much that they, that they could survive. And the early colonizers didn't know that. They didn't have that resource information, and so their own colonies were threatened, were, were immediately threatened, especially when the winter came. They didn't understand, they didn't know how to live off the land, they didn't know how to uh, make shelters that would keep uh, during the different seasons because this was new, new, new territory for them. And so they, their survivability depended on the ability to understand how to live on the land by learning from the indigenous people. And sometimes the indigenous people, out of this sort of notion of gift giving, this reciprocity of sort of gift giving, um, certainly that knowledge was transferred over to some 
uh, of the early colonists as an exchange. Some of it was appropriated, um, but the ability of the European colonies to continue to exist and survive beyond Jamestown um, was on their ability to quickly understand from the native people how to live and survive on this land. And even today, you have community developers with wonderful great intentions coming into our communities, presupposing sort of that they know what, what's best and they know what the solutions are, and, and, and enacting sort of projects that have no relevancy and no content, continuity to what's already happening on the ground. That rather than starting with your capital and your ability to put something on the ground, you ought to go to the people who know best how to live in that land, how to live in that neighborhood, on that block, what the pressure points are, uh, where the natural bartering places are, right? The natural markets, the nodes of interaction in a community and saying, how do we use our capital resources to enhance that versus how do we create our own thing and then ask people to join it, join it or join us? And often what happens is that the, the, the people living in those communities can't, can't find a way to make those development fit. And so they continue on with the processes and the structures that have been there for a long time already. And, and the only way that the developments will work is if you bring in new people, if you, if you bring in people who are uh, better conditioned to be able to understand that way of life and say, take that and come and live it here in our new development. And, and that leads to sort of what we understand as gentrification today, um, which for me is only uh, neo-colonialism, it's only a new form of colonialism. Mm -hmm. um, these, these things are not new because they're, they're, they're premised on the same faulty conditions, which is this idea of stealing the land and forgetting that people already live here. And, and that's what we continue to do with our community development. Thank you, thank you. And I have some more questions connected to that after I get to Yusuf, uh, same question that we started with. What resources can be quantified and valued as assets in the neighborhood beyond property, Yusuf? So, so you <clears throat> for me taking an approach of understanding like the dynamics of, of the term community development, which um, was born like in Africa in the early 1900s where in, in East Africa and Kenya and what was also identified as uh, British British Africa was a, was this terminology of community development again where as my brother Raul just just put on the table colonialism which is a whole topic in itself which is basically you know you come it's some gangster shit <laughs> let's just call it what it is and you you kicking in the door and you snatching people you raping and you stripping them of everything so fun fundamentally, community development was a, a more sophisticated word to dial down down that that process. Um, coming into uh, America, it became more of a popular term in the, in the 1960s. Moving forward, removing from um, urban urban removal, which which we knew as urban uh, removing Negroes and, and et cetera. So, you no know, trying to be seen more friendly. Uh, more inclusive, more diverse. Uh, we're we're here to help you and, and all all the, the things that that we would open our doors. But in reality, so just kind of laying laying out some some history to get into this point. 
um, I mean, the asset is to be able to organize within the community. Now, when you look at the movements such as uh, UNI, Universal Improvement Association, when you look at uh, Booker T. Washington and what what he what he did, uh, you know, Nation Islam within the Black community, those those organizations and individuals who who led that or um, the unknown names that was very crucial in those organization movements lay down a foundation of the assets within the community but from a framework of truly what community development looks like because here what we have to also understand that we're, we're talking about a, a conundrum within a system that is oppressing us so again when we go back to where Raul talks about colonialism when we talk about neocolonialism some of the, the basic framework of neocolonialism is a is a um a black person in high places or a brown person in high places but as uh, but at the end of the day the, because they're in those position the power behind them is determining the power of that community which is not benefiting that community but benefiting other individuals so you know again today's election day right um it's like you know you you want to you want to coexist but do you coexist at the expense of yourself and so again when we look at our community as a result of not having movements or ideas that truly speak to our own selves looking at our, our our assets saying that we our social capital is is our um its ability to think differently to ability to redefine ourselves the ability to, to exercise our right for self-determination to control the resources within our community but then to get to commit to ask that question we also have to go deeper to the, what is a community Mm -hmm. and, and, and more likely, um, we're defining our community on terms that are, that is not of our community. And so long as we're doing that, we're playing to somebody else's game. We're using someone else, someone else's rules. And so, I mean, in all actuality, the community development as we know now is nothing but a, a system of, of exploitation, a system of continuing to um, de deteriorate and, de and destroy communities for, for profits, particularly black and brown communities. And so, you know, once we can clearly understand that, we the, the opposite of what we do at CMB is what we talk about uh, liberated zones and, li and liberated zone is creating the opportunity which is in the family of de decolonizing um is is being able to, which is cleansing ourselves internally cleansing ourselves of where again where you know look at jay-z what jay-z did in, in brooklyn help bringing um the brooklyn nets to, to brooklyn many of us in our community we like hell yeah jay that's jay jay brought that back you know that's 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 some real shit. You know that's my man. He, he from Marcy Project, but how many black people he kicked out of Brooklyn? How many houses that was torn down? They may it may have benefited black people and brown people in that area temporarily, but long term we know it's not going to benefit. I mean, and this is where the critical lens and the, and the result of us not perceiving that we don't have power, and we and again that's another form of neocolonialism. The move that Jay did. Because of his position, of, I mean, Jay may be worth a billion dollars, but every move he makes, the, those who are who are greater than him in terms of finances makes three, four billion dollars. You know, Jay may have may have made a billion, but those they made forty billion, fifty billions off of Jay. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing with, and I'm using him as an example in terms of community development. Like you and I, us three, we may go into business, buy property, developing, and we all may come out one day millionaires, but at what expense? And that's why I was, uh, you gave definitely a great lens and overview into community development, but I do want to get that point uh, of what resources 
can be quantified and valued as assets in that neighborhood, in our neighborhoods, beyond property. Raul spoke of human resources. What are some of those other assets that you feel can be quantified and valued as assets in our neighborhoods? I mean, I'm, I'm a sign of traditionalist in the sense of people, first mm -hmm. and foremost. You can't under, underestimate land because land is one of the things, I mean, people on land, right? Land is, is one of the things that you can't, Diminish it's it's going to be there. You can you can do whatever with it. And then again, people like you and I made that a day. You know, our little brothers, our, our children, they're there to continue that on. So they they have. But it's the process of how we view the land. Are are we viewing the land for 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 owning? Like people come to me like, man, why you ain't buying all the all the property in your neighborhood? Like for what? Like just just so I can sit down and say I own all the property. Like I can be a, a little. Um, baby Illich in my community, I could be a little baby uh, Dan Gilbert, because again, this is how we've been trained. Like we want to uh, see monopoly in real life, but it, and because that's what these systems are tied to capitalism. Capitalism is tied to a monopoly. So, so fundamentally, the greatest resource is our ability to rethink. So again, when, when we understand what decolonization is, not just as a term, but as a practice, as a process of retraining and redefining how we think, that is the greatest asset right there. And then the land, we oh okay, we can cook, we we can grow food on our land, we we can. And, and when you look at our movements as we was doing that, that's when they attacked us the most. Because we were developing and controlling the resources, that's what they fear. That's why they put out there and said the, great, the um, Black Panther Party was the greatest threat to the um, United States of America, not because they had pistols, but because they was organizing, educating, and bringing awareness of the people. And that goes to the next question. In what ways can community residents ensure financial institutions are honoring all assets in a community? Organize. <laughs> Organize. And organize, and what I mean by that is, it's it's the same thing in elections. No, Bernie showed up because why he needs our vote. No, Biden showed up why because he needs needs our vote. Uh, many community uh, financial institutions they're going to show up, and how they're going to show up is they'll come to Raul and say, Mr. Raul, uh, I like how you, you who you are, and this is this is our deal. And Raul say, Fuck you. Okay, well I'm gonna go to Yusuf then. <laughs> Mr. Youssef, uh, we talked to Raul and things didn't work out, but what about you, man? We, we really like you. I think you're the best fit. And I might say fuck you. Then they go, Kari, we talked to Raul and we talked to Youssef, man. We know you that you got a podcast and know we own a little property. What if we did such and such? And because we're not connected, because we're not organized, one of us going to bite. And, 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 and to Raul alluded earlier, Brown Tension, like, if, if, you're, if you're the one that bite, it may not be because, like, some of us are just selling out just because. But then others are selling out because, again, it's, it's I'm just trying to move up the, the, the economic ladder. But I paint that picture in terms of this, these are how the, these institutions works in terms of plotting, uh, plotting a course of, of continuing to put us against each other. They, they sell us uh, the, these temporary visions where it's going to impact it temporarily, but, but, but long term, it impacts greater institutions for capital gain for, for, for corporations to continue to control and develop something that, does, that is not truly community. And I, I, I definitely have that question for you as well, Raul. But I want Youssef to keep going with this whole idea of organization is the best way as co community residents 
can ensure financial institutions are honoring all assets in the community. So when you talk about just that organization and what it looks like, and also the way that uh, people can be divided and uh, interests can be diluted just due to just due to the machine of money and just due to sometimes the promise of money. Uh, we, we recently, as you, we've spoke uh, a couple of times, both of you all just spoke of what's happening with today's primary in Michigan, but uh, Michael Bloomberg's campaign saw many, uh, many black mm -hmm. community organizers, mm -hmm. many black politicians align themselves with Michael Bloomberg and his campaign and the uh, black initiative that he had as a platform in his the campaign Greenwood, the, the greenwood initiative yes so this this is an idea that uh that definitely we've seen enacted recently uh as michael bloomberg was actually doing tours uh, across the across the country almost for like two years talking to different quote-unquote urban communities about ways that he can assist i mean i can't even tell you how many things in the mail i've gotten from michael bloomberg's <laughs> campaign so as you talk about just the idea of approaching many people that may not have been approached with this lack of organization um what what happens when a person does support Michael Bloomberg's campaign when a person does find themselves not necessarily aligned with what we feel are the ethics of a community uh, what what becomes that protocol of engaging that person because they're still you know uh, connected to us Yusuf so we're talking about a, um, from my perspective a, a revolutionary practice and a, and a revolutionary practice again you, you you look at all sides you look at it yeah and you exhaust um um every a avenue i mean fun fundamentally people are in awe of of, of america people are in awe. they believe in the american uh, politics politics of not necessarily because they believe in america but because you want the luxuries of freedom of peace tranquility the ability to say i'm a i'm a citizen the and, the idea of yeah, the american dream exactly. that has been propagated since the inception of america absolutely and and this is your route mm -hmm. even though you know your your heart or heart <laughs> it ain't you ain't going to benefit from it but and this is where as revolutionaries and as radical folks we have to create a, a, another alternative and that alternative that we create is is long, is hard, and is unfortunate. Many of our people want to, I mean, again, when, I mean, when people jumped on the Mike uh, Bloomberg, it's like one, like, damn, dude was doing uh, stop and frisk. Like, dude was locking folks up. Dude was harassing, et cetera, et cetera. And people like, whatever, you know. And, and but it, and those that's a living contradiction. And, and there's other aspects that, I mean, again, we could, we could substitute uh, Mike Bloomberg for, for um Mike Duggan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it, you know, I mean, we're we're, we're committing our own suicide mm -hmm. and, and you no know, social suicide. And, and but it's it's you necessarily can't blame someone for their own ignorance. I mean, mm -hmm. we're always ignorant. We all I mean everything that like I'm saying. This wasn't me thirty years ago. I wasn't raised this way. So something transformed in my life to begin to think this way. So you know, if we build movements, we'll build organizations to help build movements. And even with that, we we're not necessarily always going to win people over immediately. Like when you look at Malcolm and Martin, they 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 seem very different. But some people say when, when the time uh, Martin got assassinated, he sounded like Malcolm. Mm -hmm. So you know, p giving people a chance to evolve, to grow, but also again, yeah, I mean, you know, the worst thing that you can do is you know, like Raul, right? Like, man, I'm, I'm supporting Biden or whoever, and I'm like, he full of shit, and whatever you said. But then two years later, like. 
damn, Yusef, you was right. But at that moment, and, and it could be me, it's like, how do you, how do you uh, tell a person that that's who you vote for is full of shit? Because I, I have all my eggs is in that basket. Mm -hmm. You know, my, 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 my social security, my income, my community, whatever, it's, it's, it's dependent on that person. So you can't just snatch it from the person. So it, there, there's a process. So like a lot of times what we say in this work is either the problem or the solution. Or you need part of the problem or part of the solution. And we can't be that absolute. And that's where I was saying, like, how, how do we navigate knowing that different people have different standards and and practices about how they. Engage. I mean, simple. We have to be fluid. We have to be flexible. Um, I mean, George Jackson said it in, in his second book, "Blood in My Eye," that you automatically cannot condemn no people, and I'm paraphrasing for for supporting you know, or making judgments such as such as that. Because again, when you look at all of us um, in this country, we we've been taught what to think instead of how to think. Even when we think that we're thinking critical, we're not thinking critical. Even when we think that we're we're making the best decision for ourselves, we're not. When you when you you, know, you just illuminated to um, Mike Bloomberg, and if you're constantly getting the, the same uh, lit in the mail, uh, at some point you're gonna read it. You know, mm -hmm. it's saying like the song that you like, man, I can't stand that song. I hate that song. Before you know it. You singing that song? Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> the the reality is Michael Bloomberg has been supportive of almost every quote-unquote liberal initiative that we would think of like some of his funding has went to support many liberal initiatives mm -hmm. so it was a very nuanced attack against him as a lot of the people combating what he stood for were also some of the same people that were cashing in the biggest checks from bloomberg's foundations from his philanthropy from his work and even right now that same democratic party that was so up in arms about his support are now applauding his efforts of spending money to quote unquote galvanize the black vote in November for whoever the Democratic candidate is. And I'll say one thing, one more thing is like I went to vote this morning mm -hmm. and I didn't vote. And the reason I didn't vote, not because I didn't want to, but because how the system played itself out, I had to either be identify as a Republican or a Democrat. I wasn't willing to relinquish that. Of myself, even though I would, I wanted to vote for Bernie. You know, I don't necessarily you know, believe in him. I'd rather vote for him than than, than Biden, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not going to box me in. You're not going to box me into because at the end, then we look at the, we, we in a country. We, we live in a country that goes off numbers, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, numbers will say, well, we have this many people in the Republican Party, this many people in the Democratic Party, and it's not that black and white. You know, you're not giving me opportunity to to produce any other different ideas. And how minute that may sound, that means everything to me. Mm -hmm. And and this is what we have to create other alternatives. So I mean, everything you just described, and there and there are folks on the ground, but we, but we don't hear them, we don't see them as a, another alternative to these two different party systems or that that mechanism that you just described. And that's where you know, in terms of asset community development, again, like community development can be from our own perspective. But do we believe that we can initiate that? That's that's deep, and and I'm not sure about that, but I think now Michigan is one of those places where they say you can't split the ballot or whatever, but it's one of those weird things that I agree with you on so many points, Yousef. Raul, question that I have for you, same thing. In what ways can community residents ensure financial institutions are honoring all assets in a community? So I think <clears throat> to get back at to answer that question, just to get back at your previous question around what are other assets outside of pr uh, property or land, 
and I know that I, I mentioned um, sort of our human resource assets. I mean, mm -hmm. There's some physical assets. I mean, it's hard to sort of not name things that are not tied to property, but school buildings, libraries, like public institutions are also assets um, that are important um, in terms of talking about the kind of community where folks can, can live and grow um, health in a healthy way and preserving those assets. <clears throat> I like to add sort of cultural assets. Hmm. Um, and going back to why that's important, going back to the colonial motif, the, the standard playbook of colonialism was these people are too connected to the land and we've got to sort of disconnect them from the land. And so on the one hand, they took black bodies from Africa and literally disconnected them from the land, but they had to figure out how to disconnect the indigenous people who lived in the land. And part of that disconnection has to do with um, erasing memory. And the best way that communities know how to preserve memory, historical memory, is through cultural production and through our cultural assets. And so the first thing that you want to do is you want to change the name of places. We no longer call it that. We call it this. You want to erase any memory of a, of a former life. You want to destroy artifacts. You want to destroy anything that connects you to a sense of place and a sense of community so that then we can impose our way and our sense of place. And the most effective colonizers were those that were able to do that um, efficiently. Um, and so you have the island that was referred to as Borican by the Arawak people um, who are commonly referred to as Taino people, but that's also a projection of the Spanish understanding of how they like to identify themselves. We don't really know that they identify themselves as Taino Indians or Tainos. But you have an island called Borican, and the first thing you did is you changed the name of the island to Puerto Rico or Rich Port. Right, not even thinking about so Borique, by the way, is is a term that means a uh, land of the brave and noble lord. And you shifted the meaning of that land, mm -hmm. connection to people, right, to mm -hmm. honorable people. You shifted to rich port. <laughs> you commodified the meaning of the land, right. And so now we call it Puerto Rico. Now I'm stuck with that name, and and because I'm sort of a nationalist in terms of um, Puerto Rican liberation. So I, I identify myself as Puerto Rico wrought with, itself wrought with all of its contradictions. But, but to change, to, to, to threaten the cultural production allows you to control uh, the people more efficiently. Um, there's a quote that's as ascribed to Arturo Schomburg, uh, black, pan-African, Puerto Rican, um, uh, New Yorker mm -hmm. who said, um, it is ascribed to him to say that uh, people who, and I'm paraphrasing, this is really paraphrasing, but a people who are historically self-aware are not easily oppressed. If we know Arturo Schoenberg's sort of legacy, he collected the greatest collection, he assembled the greatest collection of Pan-African literature that gave or helped give rise to what we call the Harlem Renaissance, 
right? That if you preserve historical memory and you continue to sort of whisper it in the ears of the people to not, to not let them forget that they might not, that on the one hand, they might not be easily controlled or, or, or manipulated, but on the other hand, they might flourish. They might uh, 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 thrive without any need for injections of community development. And so I think that from an assets perspective and from a preservation perspective, that our, our historical memory and our cultural, our cultural production, um, which is our historical memory, is something that ought to be preserved. We're talking about murals. We're talking about artifacts. We're talking about places where we gather. Like Those are all important things. And, and then going back to modern development, the first thing that they want to do is erase your murals. The first thing they want to do is change the names of things. They want to change the names of streets. They want to change the names of neighborhoods. They want to change the names of things to disconnect you from a history that tied you to that land so that they can reconnect other people who have no connection to that land. Yeah. And, and so, I'm sorry, going back to the question about financial institutions, part of it is like preserving sort of that collective historical memory, and then part of it is unpacking like what these financial institutions are about. What, what is their, um, what binds them, right? And, and, and where are the contradictions in messing with them, right, and engaging with them so that if you do come into contact that you're use, utilizing them for a purpose, but you're not sort of thinking that that's going to be the answer or the antidote, that that's going to be something that we can take advantage of mm -hmm. as, a, as a community because on your, on your uh, bylaws or on your sort of articles of incorporation, it says you're supposed to be about this, this, and this, and we're going to hold you to that. So part of it is, is unpacking that educating that as a community and then using that as a way to organize and mobilize and hold accountable those institutions but without rose-colored lenses we know that this is an instrument of empire we know that this is an instrument of capitalism um, and there might be times where we have to engage it and there might be times where we have to disengage it um, we come at it clear-eyed so that we, we, we get engaged, we get a little dirty, but we sort of protect and preserve what it is that we're trying to do, that we don't depend on CDFIs, or we don't depend on CDBG, because uh, we have the ability to sort of create those things within and within ourselves if we sort of are willing to understand and, and, and preserve our collective sort of memory of space and, and place. And as you spoke of that, that definitely brings up uh, one of the biggest divides that has existed in the history, I think, of a lot of black people and when it comes to religion and also uh, other people of color and when it comes to religion, as you think of the missionaries as, uh, you know, the sword in the Bible <laughs> were usually the things that were used to colonize and capture people and uh, taking away and implementing a new form of culture. Uh, through religion that it has a lot of historical context along those lines but it's also some of these institutions that exist today that uh, have have been the glue in some of these communities uh, when we think about cultural assets because it can be so specific to each community uh, how how do you even go about finding out what they are 
as an outsider? How do you even find and ingratiate? As you spoke about Chicago, and I have family in Chicago, and it's it's many stories in Chicago, mm-hmm. a lot of different things, a lot of different ways to even look at like you know where to where to go about haircuts, clothing, and different things. Like it has a a cultural feel, and Detroit has a richness as well. How how do you familiarize yourself with this culture that it's hard to even quantify and put like a a a, a, a true value on it, but it is the makeup of a people. So how did I do it, right? Coming from Chicago and, and sort of not even living in Detroit proper, living downriver, um, and there's a whole story behind how I landed there. But I'm fully aware of the contradictions. I'm fully aware of like how I exist in space, how I take up space, right? And, and sort of my levels of privileges. For most of my adult life in Chicago, I was able to live and work in the community that raised me, which is a privilege. Not a lot of people get that, uh, that opportunity. And in that, and in that context, I placed a high level of um, expectation on any outsider coming in wanting to do work in my community. Mm-hmm. Moving out here, I had to remember that expectation that I placed on others and place it on myself. Because now I could no longer act like the indigenous sort of person who was raised by the community. Now I'm an, now I'm the outsider, and so I had to like remember like what was the litmus test, what was the criteria that I placed on other people, and apply it to myself. And so the, one of the very first things that I that I said I had to do was just be, just be in the neighborhood, just be in the. Sp- Understand where are the places that people gather normally and naturally and just be there and just listen, observe, sort of like in the most um, organic expression of being an anthropologist, of really understanding the rhythm of life by the people who experience the issues the most. And then being careful not to prescribe solutions. the, the indigenous teaching of, of, of the healing circle where in the circle we all share out of our experience and out of that ex- shared experience someone might find the medicine that they need because they're going through some things. And so really thinking about how do I offer out of my experience as opposed to prescribing this is what you ought to do. I know this because this is what I did in Chicago. And so I really had to like take a reverse role and not, um, whereas in my community in Chicago, I sort of was sure of what the solutions might be. I had to sort of really be humbled and say, that's not going to work. I can only share out of my experience and we can take out of that what's helpful and useful. And then I can sort of lend my time and my energy towards any kind of project or something that tries to implement um, any solution. Um, But the first and foremost thing that I had to do is just be with people. I had to just be in the physical spaces um, and then and then sort of consider what what emerges out of that and I think one of the very first issues that I was able to link on was this conversation around gentrification because in Chicago in Humboldt Park particularly on Northwest side most of my like activism work was around gentrification and preventing displacement and so when there a, a, a mural by some sort of outsider yuppie group hygienic Dress League or something like that it was called. It was defaced on Bagley and it said yuppies go home or something. All of a sudden everybody wanted to talk about gentrification. I was like, ooh, I have experience in that. Mm -hmm. And so I offered up 
out of my experience. And then I realized that I was having the same conversations with individuals at the coffee shop. Um, and I was still commuting every other week from Chicago at that time. And they all live in the same neighborhood. And I said, y'all live in the same neighborhood. I'm y'all not talking to each other. You're talking, well, I'm having the same conversation with three individuals. Why don't we come together, form a group and have one conversation and then think about what solutions might be. And that was sort of my early, um, one of my first early organizing work that, that I did in Southwest Detroit was around this question of gentrification. Um, but really it only emerges out of like a straight humbling of myself and saying, I'm no longer an expert. I'm in a new context. I am in new space, new time. I have to understand what the culture is. Um, this Detroit versus everybody notion is really heavy. And I had to understand that because coming from Chicago, particularly coming from Humble Park, where we felt it heavy in Humble Park, like we would rep Humble Park heavy, but we didn't rep the city heavy like that, mm -hmm. right? And we weren't like, oh, Chicago downtown, yay, you know, Willis Tower, Sears Tower, that, that kind of conversation. Yeah. We didn't have like that kind of love um, that heavy for the city itself. It was more neighborhood based. When I came here, I had to understand what this culture was and what this, because that was, that was weird to me because I have a strong critique of the city, you know, sort of from a, from a uh, decolonial perspective, like the modern city is problematic. But I had to understand people love the city here, man. They love Detroit, like mm -hmm. Detroit versus everybody. And so I had to like, rather than critique that, which was the inclination, right? Like, yo, like this is a colonial, you know, um, uh, our archetype on the city, the mm -hmm. modern city. I had to say like, what what is informing this Detroit versus everybody? And what are the places where I can like land with it so that I can sort of connect with? Um, rather than sort of like feel like y'all are fighting the wrong fight. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of work and time. And that goes right into the next question for you. Uh, what's the importance of residency for people working within community development? So residency for me is the ideal place, the ideal thing. It's the primary sort of, um, uh, and I'm saying that with a contradiction, right? I don't live in Southwest Detroit. Mm -hmm. But residence for me, residency is, is the first and foremost for me, the primary criteria for doing community development. I don't even use community development, by the way, um, because it has that real estate sort of land focus. Okay. Um, I like to talk about community building, okay. creating opportunities for community to, to be built, right? Which is, which is a sense of community, which is people coming together as community versus real estate, um, which development has that strong imagery but but i think residency is 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 probably like the first and foremost i strongly believe that the people experiencing the problem the most have the best source information for its solutions and so um if if any developers are going to emerge out of our neighborhoods the i mean if any developers are going to do work in the in the communities we ought to strive to have them emerge out of out of the community, and I feel strongly about that. Um, secondarily, if you're not from the community, then secondarily, I think you think about how to be part of the community. That becomes problematic because if I if I say my expectations for you to move into that community, then Raul is saying you ought to be part of the gentrification, and that's not what I'm saying 
but you ought to struggle with the tension. Do I move in? And if I move in, am I part of this outsider movement? And I don't have an answer for you. My answer is wrestle with the tension and allow the tension to um, help you make a decision or, or help you make a determination. I'd rather deal with people who have wrestled with that than people who sort of just came out with straight answers, absolute answers. You, you move into it and that's it, period. I know there's contradictions. I don't care now. I'm part of the community. Now I can be part of the decision. That's problematic to me. But if you wrestle with it and you're wrestling with it all the time, then I think I, I'm cool with that. That vibes with me. Um, and then thirdly, if you cannot figure out how to move in um, and you, you haven't wrestled sufficiently, then you have to think about how to assume a more allyship mm -hmm. um, position where there's still a contradiction because you're probably getting paid by a community-based organization, you're probably getting paid some decent money, you don't live in the community, and the level of engagement is limited because, because of that contradiction. And so that also is problematic. But, but I think sort of understanding who you are and what space you, you occupy in a, in, in, in a community is important. And so if you're going to be that ally, how can you be the best ally? That means you're not prescriptive. You don't have the answers. That means you're sort of listening most of the time and you're serving at the pleasure and at the will of the people who live there and who experience the issues the most. El Pueblo Manda, which is a very... Um, uh, not Mexican per se, but it's the Chiapas, it's the Zapatistas um, notion of the people demand, mm -hmm. the people govern, yeah. right? The elected officials are delegated power by the people to govern, pero el pueblo manda, and, and the, the delegates obedecen, the delegates obey. Mm -hmm. And so that's strictly what you, if, you, if you're at that third, third tier where you're strictly an ally, then you've got to listen, you've got to observe, and you've got to take your directions from the people and, and say, this is what the people are saying. This, my, my ideas, my, my preferences are sort of not even important. Okay. And same question for you, Yusuf. Uh, what's the importance of residency for people working within community building? I mean, it's important that, like, so when we say re residency, to unpack, like, pull that word apart to get to the, you know, the answer. And what I mean by that is, um, it's it's clothed within, you know, community development of the of the society of the system. So, my interpretation of resident is not the same interpretation of what the question may come from because of where the root of the word. Um, it's taking it. So again, look at Zone Eight, my community, my neighborhood. I, what I mean for residents over there is again, us controlling the resources within our community, us looking, us being neighbor to each other. So our community development is hoping to grow into a form of black self uh, self determination as as um, leading us towards black black liberation. So fun is, and, and the reason I'm trying to go down this path because like people say when politicians run like I'm for the people for by the people blah blah blah. What we what you should say but in reality their practice is not that. They say all the right words. I can say I'm for the res uh, residents of the community or we want residency but in reality when you look at their practice so it's important that we understand like the conclusion is not necessarily what, what we want. And so I need to make the distinction 
of like how I think. And so like Raul kind of alluded to like there's plenty of contradictions. Like I work for a nonprofit organization. Um, I've I've received the grants from here and there, right? Um, you so you so you engage in the system, but it's it's, it's for me engaging, you know, exhausting every every level to to getting to certain certain parts because fundamentally, we unfortunately at this stage that you know, we we don't have you no know, self self reliance. Um, independent funding, they're 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 on a, on a small level. So so, but there's those contradictions exist. But fundamentally, what are the principles? What are the values? And like I said earlier, in terms of like voting, like there's certain principles I'm not willing to compromise. There there's certain contradictions like that. They exist, but all kind as, as some of my elders talking, all contradictions are not antagonistic. You know, so again, so like, as I've um, entertained possibly running for uh, city council, like I'm not running because I believe in the American system, American policies. I, I decide or entertain at times because I see it of, of representing the people, um, and but engaging them through through this temporary p position to educate to to heighten the contradictions between the system because they exist, and the only way we can heighten those contradictions, we have to engage it. But what, but what we don't realize is it is it is a hell of a fight. We it's like fighting Mike Tyson. I mean, like literally, Mike Tyson said, "Like man, I ain't about to fight that motherfucker." But if he if he swing on you, you gonna swing back, right? Even though you know you might get your ass kicked. And this is this is when I use that now. Like that's the mentality that we gotta we have to build up the confidence of our people. But what happened is we have so many folks. I use Coleman Young. Like, I mean, I respect Coleman, but there was a lot of contradiction with Coleman. There's a lot of shit. There's a lot of mistakes in this. Like when we look at um, the the land trust. I mean, not the land trust. The tax abatement. Like Coleman, he helped lead that. Mm -hmm. He he done that in the '80s, but we we don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. We talk about all the other things. But and I, and I don't say that to shit on him. But I say that like we have to. We can't just we we can't romanticize history. We can't. We just can't take the good and forget about the bad. And to be able to answer those questions fundamentally is to, to look at the, the whole landscape of the people and ask ourselves fundamentally, are we trying to get, go in this system or are we trying to get the fuck away from the system? And we might have to, we might have to go in the system to get away from the system. And But how do we do that without continuing to colon, uh, be more colonialized to get to the point of being more decolonialized? And as you talk about that, and I guess that, that was definitely a macro view of what residency could look like. Uh, and I appreciate that lens and that perspective. Um, you spoke about being in the system and then going out of the system. Uh, one of those people, as you study definitely, Amari um, Obadeli, mm -hmm. and we think of the Republic of New Africa and what that stood for. Absolutely. And uh, one of his mentees that uh, led the Republic of New Africa, we think of Chokwe Lumumba, right. uh, one of my biggest mentors uh, and someone I looked up to. But from that study of that Republic of New Africa and even what exists right now in Jackson, Mississippi from the Republic of New Africa. Uh, can you speak a little bit about how the the metamorphosis and, and that contradiction, that, uh, that working out the system to come in the system but still standing for the ethics of principles just through your own lens? Well, fundamentally, what we don't necessarily always talk about from a legality standpoint, where Malcolm had enlightenment says, we need to take our struggle out of a civil rights to a human rights. And he was saying, as long as we, we function within the civil rights, we function in, in the parameters of America. 
And functioning the parameters of America, we just like, how you gonna go to your oppressor for asking for freedom? <laughs> that, that's just mm-hmm. an oxymoron. And so, so by taking to um, human rights, he's saying like we need to put on the world scale. And when we put on the world scale, there there are world rules. There there's you no know, there's rules to engagements around war, warfare. And so the public of New Africa was born out of that. And meaning like um, there's international laws. So when the like Raul said, you know, I, I represent a pub, uh, Puerto Rican nation that is oppressed. So there's international laws to support that that nation. There's, so as, as we, as Republic of New Africa said, we are a nation within a nation. There's international laws that support that. So we have, either we have political prisoners, individuals who have engaged in political organizing for the freedom and the liberation of this country. I mean, for a, a black people, and and they've been um, targeted and incarcerated. But what the um, the international laws say, like they should be, they should be set free, et cetera, et cetera. But what the American government. Don't want to recognize. I mean, to recognize that is to recognize the contradiction of themselves. So that's part of the inside game that Amari Daly used. But also, again, when you when you look at the Republic of Africa, it's it's a it's a, um organizing that was going through different phases. You know, you, know, you talk about Chokwe. You know, a lot of people. Don't, there was a split. No, yeah. Chokwe split from um Amari Daly. He started uh, New African People's Organization. Uh, he was you no know, one of the very few that that was able to keep that that concept, that ideology alive. He all uh, stepped back. He ran for city council, became mayor. I mean, again, you know, and so some of our, our listeners, so we, you know, Republic of Africa um, identifies the Black Belt as the birthplace of, of African people, but we identify ourselves in, in, in um, North America as New African, not meaning as a new people, but understanding like that's that's our tribal right as New African peoples, and understanding. You know, looking at the um, the sociology of our development in this country, there there was a multitude of different African tribes who spoke different languages, practiced different religions, who was forced and enslaved and captured and brought to America. And out of that, a new people was born. They was born out of struggle. So again, if we if we interpret our history through those through that lens, we're not interpreting our history through clo- through slavery. We're interpreting our history through colonization. But at the at the end of that, it's like we have to fight for our liberation. Cause I mean, like I've been watching this movie series uh, called Utugo, and I'm watching the, the sequel called um, Atma. Um, it's, it's O T double T M A or A M something like that. And but what's what's powerful about it is when you historically we look at for the last thousand years, people have been conquer, conquering each other. Mm-hmm. For the last thousand years, different nations have been conquering each other, ruling ruling the world. We've been invading, and I mean, some has not been extreme as what we've seen here in America, but nevertheless, this this is what we see. And so, again, when you talk about liberation movements, this is, and the liberation movements is first and foremost, like you have to decolonize yourself. Like a na- for nationalism to, to, to be born is to identify we are a nation. We have a, we are a nation that have a right to be self-governed because in reality that's who we was before someone came and disrupted our whole process. But we, and to exhaust that to get there, there's a lot of pitfalls. Again, when you evaluate, like when you talk about socialism or communism, the question should always be: What version of socialism are we talking about? What version of communism are we talking about? Yeah, you no, know, uh, Karl Marx, who's considered the the the, the father of, of well, communism, communism, you know. Is, yeah. But we tend to not to realize that like, he was a racist. Mm-hmm. You know, why? You know, we don't tend to realize when we talk about you know Russian version of communism was a white white supremacy version of communism. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, so again, you know, we separate those things to be able to understand that the, the, there's we're talking about development, human development. So, you no, know, fundamentally, the you know, Republic of Africa is that that vehicle, that expression of saying black people have a right to to determine ourselves. More importantly, we have a right to be independent. And I like uh, what you talked about uh, in going into the whole idea of decolonizing yourself, because a lot of this is also the will of the people and also the awareness of the people and where they want to be. So answering that question about residency has a whole lot to do with the re with the awareness of where people are, because it's many people, even when we look at a community like mine. They feel trapped in my neighborhood. I love my neighborhood. But if you feel trapped in my neighborhood, you have a different idea of what assets exist. Uh, the points about cultural assets and the human resources, the human assets, if you feel trapped here just due to uh, the consciousness that is pervasive through capitalism and the capitalistic opportunities that exist in my community, then yes, you will feel trapped. If you look at it from that lens, my neighborhood is definitely not a place that uh, many people would ever want to live because it is only going to be looked at as an asset from the lens of what is seen as community development. It's in what is labeled as an empowerment zone. And that kind of ushers me and speeds me to the next question in this for you, Yusef, about you know what cultural and societal consciousness is needed to work within community building in Detroit. Who and how is this consciousness evaluated? Um, to, to answer that question is to understand the things that you just laid out in reference to your neighborhood, which is a, a, a reflection of many neighborhoods. Yes. And so the, the opposite end of community development is, to your point, is the de deterioration. It's the, the taking away of. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we, we all can remember vividly of the mom and pop store that we you know that you would go to. You know, the just the, those those you talk about those was cultural institutions, those was economic institutions. When they began to evaporate, our community evaporated, our neighborhood evaporated. When those anchors began to, to collapse, our neighborhoods collapsed. You know, the social levies fell in, and we fell in with it. Yeah. And so, so fundamentally, now you have corporation to come in. We're going to come and save the day, you know, yeah. uh, the missionary, the corporation missionary. So these these are um, tactics. These, these are inter inter intentional plots to, of, of creating dev devastation. So, again, we have to get back to hey, what, you, what, you, what you're doing with the podcast, you know, turning your, your grandparents' house into a podcast house. Like, that's a cultural institution. Mm -hmm. You know what we're doing in you know with the uh, urban network. Urban network back in that's a cultural institution. What what quasi have over there? Those are cultural institutions. We may not see it right now, but they but they they have the the ability to be that. Why? Because people they touch they, they're going to touch people in a way that no one else can. And we have to we and we may not see it right now, but that's that's the goal. But we have to build it. And that's how we build the movement. That's how we mobilize people. That's where there are people, because fundamentally, this is where people get fed at. They can, and when I mean fed, I'm talking about spiritually, physically, and mentally. And, and multiple, this is where, you know, you know the, the latest hip-hop artist could be there. Oh, that's my man. He on the block. And, and you know, and he may come and say some, some dumb shit, but you know how to massage and clove it in a way that it's going to get to people and, and, and then we still got to meet people there and so yeah. it's 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 a it's, it's a um it's an organizing tool but that but in that organizing tool it's a cultural institution that 
will help us meet the people with it. Thank you. And I and I definitely want to thank uh, Raul and then we got some of the team from the round table for supporting this. Uh, we don't have like a packed house. Got like bar in effect. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't like the first talk. I was surprised how many people came out in January. It was like slipping snow and everything. But that's how it is. We're going to keep this conversation going. But when you think about a cultural asset, what Detroit is different means to me, just to have that platform for people to speak as much as I like talking. And this has been a rich discussion. I got to get Raul on Detroit is different soon as well, too. But uh, just picking up as we carry on this discussion. And you said next time it's going to be outdoors. In yeah. May, it will take place at the Urban Network. And I'm really looking forward to that discussion as well and, and seeing what that feel in the outdoor and, and being in your neighborhood on that block, what a discussion like this brings and presents to the people just as uh, Raul kind of said, like it can permeate through the air, like music of points like this as just seeing, you know, three dudes like us, you know, dress like us, have discussions about community building community development and what that means and how things are leveraged becomes transitioning in mind transitioning in thought and it becomes a tool one of the uh, biggest assets that i know i miss a lot just with my cars i just like cleaning them up and uh papa d's uh car wash on liver noise that closed but uh back in the day everybody else used to use the the car wash on dexter but these hand car washes to me were those institutions that you speak of you know they were higher usually about you know 12 to 15 young dudes you know i'm paying 25 dollars to get my car washed but the the consciousness is all right they're not going to scratch it with the with the uh with the tile and everything and it's more effective than the the i guess the company uh from somebody outside my neighborhood buying the drive-through car wash and it was a heck of an institution culturally that's an asset that i don't know will it be replicated under the monetary means but under the functional means of my community and being able just to kick it and interact and engage with the young dudes and know that i'm supporting a business that is an asset for my community that connects and it's things like that that i think are stripped away when you only are looking to value businesses that can produce a profit so when we think about this societal consciousness that's needed the cultural and societal consciousness that's needed to work within community building for you raul uh, you know what is that consciousness and who and how is this consciousness evaluated i think i'd like to answer that question with just a little bit of wordplay and mm -hmm. uh the word remember um, during a trip to Puerto Rico uh, as part of the Detroit Equity Action Lab um, emerged, with, emerged to me as having new, new energy, new magic as it, as it relates to our conversation around community development and this notion of consciousness. If it is true that a people who have a sense of their historical memory or historical uh, self collective self cannot be easily oppressed then for the organizer it behooves her or him to engage in memory action that that part of the organizing is to call the people together to remember you see because our communities have been dismembered they've been dismembered by the good intentions of community developers by the bad intentions of nefarious capitalists. Our communities have been separated. Our families are being separated. Our bodies literally have been dismembered over history. 
And so we know and understand we've been dismembered thoroughly. And so the organizer's task becomes to remember, to both not just recall fact, but to bring the members of the community back together again as one, to restore the functions of the body of community that is both recalling fact, but recalling fact collectively. It is a collective remembering of those moments, of those times when we, remembering those good times when we, and then posing the question, how can we do that today? How can we do something similar now? Not the same thing in nostalgia, but how can we do it in a new way for a new time, in a new moment, and perhaps in a new place? But the idea is we have to do this collectively. In our remembering, we're also building community. And I think that that is the charge for any community organizer, any organic community developer, whatever the self-identifying marker is, that there has to be a remembering of, of uh, those moments of who, that made us who we are, and then opposing a call to action of how can we do that together. Most of the, most of the time that happens in the kitchen in our, in our reunions, in our family gatherings, and so my guess is there's probably gotta be some food in this collective remembering. But we have to create opportunities for people to remember who they are, who they were, and who they're going to be. This was a powerful discussion. As we come to a close, I want uh, some closing remarks. We will pick this up in May. Um, I thought this was this was a rich discussion uh, from both uh, from both you all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, let's get some closing remarks, Raul. Sorry, I got into a little preaching there. Uh, I forgot to mention in my introduction that I'm also a seminary student, and I'm also sort of wrestling with this notion of becoming a pastor. And so I really got into that um, personality there. Um, some might say that a spirit took over me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, anyway, Preach on. I'm not going to go. Uh, <laughs> um, I didn't need an exorcism. Um, I think that these kinds of conversations, and both, uh, as Yusuf mentioned earlier, the, the podcast, right? These are sort of ways that we create these platforms and these cultural institutions. And so I'm really grateful both for your energy, Carrie, and, and your time in, in, you. in sort of doing this. Yusuf and I have also sort of begun to talk about, right? We didn't just say this notion of being connected so we know that way we won't be split up, that way they won't use us to to uh, divide us, right? That's not just something that he said offhand, but we've been talking about like how to build together um, and bridge together sort of the Latino, Hispanic community work that I'm doing in Southwest Detroit with the work that he's doing, so that it's not just something that we say in these forums, but it's also based um, and backed up by practice. And so um, I think that that's also another way where we can create these kinds of um, platforms and institutions to take it from the rhetoric and the abstract into more of a practice or a praxis. Okay. So I would just add, uh, you know, as folks listen to it, you know, really dissect it, and you will hear uh, what I talk. What I talk about uh, an orthodox approach, uh, alternative um, lens to you know community development. You know, we t we we tend to um, you know, approach things from this academia or from societal 
a position and we you know what's what's that uh then you keep doing the same thing over and it's like insanity or something like that you know so that so we wonder why we're not getting different results why because we haven't thought different we haven't looked at things different and so even though you you know it's, it's tied or clothed into the the traditional talk and, and language but within it, you you you're hearing something different. You're challenging you no know, neocolonialism. You know, like that's a word that most people in the, in America doesn't get uh, or don't understand. Or even like we talk about slavery. Slavery is a product of colonialism. You no, know, you don't get slavery without colonialism. You know, you 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 don't get white supremacy without capitalism. You don't have capitalism without, without white supremacy. You know, I mean, these are things. And in, in particular, as a press person, as a press man. I state those things, and so and what happens in the society? Like, how do you, how dare you say you're oppressed? Are you are you gloating and, and you and you being a victim? No, I mean to find to acknowledge my 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 victim. I mean my victimhood. I find my manhood, and in your victimhood, you can find your womanhood. And what, it, what and what I mean by that is when Malcolm recognized that he was a victim of white supremacy, is how he began to stand up and fight against it. It's not, and, and, and they tricked us in saying, well, you're talking so bad about your community. Now you're just playing the victim role. <laughs> I mean, and we, we go for these things. And, and, this is, and this is just another form of, 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 of sophisticating the struggle to, to get us to you know, looking at our own oppression as if we're the cause of it. And so, so the ways that the, some of the language and the, and the terminology that we've used today was to challenge that. The challenge that notion of saying the thinking outside the box. Like I've read the, the academia books, but I've I've read books that that come from our own struggles. You know, talked about George Jackson. Absolutely, you know, you know. I mean, my my. You know, I got a master's degree from U of M, but I got a master I got a master's degree in, in black uh, liberation. Yeah, that that supersedes any other degree. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Thank you so much. I want to thank the Michigan Roundtable for uh, partnering with us on this again. University of Detroit Mercy. And Detroit is different. All the people that are listening, thank you so much. I'm going to get this up and going. Peace. Peace. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.